I want to uh, revisit something. If you weren't here when uh, Ken preached last Sunday, don't worry. I'm going to touch on some things that he mentioned and explain to you very clearly the purpose of him having been here. Um, and if you were here, you heard me tell you that I've known Ken um, almost the entire time I have been uh, on staff in full-time or part-time ministry, I've, I have known Ken Adams. I, I even knew Ken when I was in the Navy, uh, when I was a teenager. And I would come home on leave, go to Crossroads Noonan, and at the end of a service where at, at that time, I don't know how many people go there now, but there were 2,500, 3,500 people there. Ken would stand over in a little corner at the end of the service, and anyone who wanted to could go up and speak to him, which I thought, well, that's different, and I like it. And I would go, and I would talk to him, and I can't imagine what he thought of me, but I would share with him things that were going on in my mind, things that I was struggling with, things about my future and my calling, and he never once made me feel like, hey, man, there's a lot of people I need to talk to. Could you hurry up? And maintain that relationship, and I've always thought that the way he has pastored in regard to how important God's word was to him and that he be obedient to it, that, lay, that made a lasting impression on me. And so we had him come and talk, and I had been bothered all week by something that he said. I have not been able to, to stop thinking about it at any point during this week, it's just been kind of just, I wouldn't say nagging, but just lingering. He said um, that Francis Chan made this comment one time, and I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how he said it. The wording is not so much as important as the context is accurate. He said, when I tell my kid to go clean their room, what do you think I want them to do? Thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want my kid to go learn a bunch of knowledge about cleaning their room. Does that resonate with anybody? There's been times in my life where I've, I just wanted to know a bunch of stuff. Have you ever talked to someone who's like, who like knew scripture? Like every third sentence was a Bible verse. You know what I'm talking I remember being a kid and hearing uh, pastors, people that I looked up to in the church, they would talk like that. And I thought, one day I want to be that way. There's been times where that was the goal. Sometimes it was just scripture memorization as a spiritual discipline so that I would know God's word, not because I thought it would be wise to know God's word, but because scripture tells me that you hide my word in your heart that you might not sin against me. That was important to me. And so I, there were periods of time where that was the goal. But there have been other times where just being able to sound intelligent or hold my own in a biblical discussion, those things have sometimes driven me as well. But none of that pleases God. Knowledge acquired is pointless if it is not practice. James said, do not be merely hearers of the word, but be what? Doers. So many churches today are judged based on how good the preacher can preach. As a matter of fact, 
Some people don't come if they know in advance, I'm not preaching. Just going to leave that right there. People leave churches because of the preaching. People flock to churches because of the preaching. There are instances where what you have heard preached, having been inaccurate, is alarming. And you should question if you hear doctrine that is incorrect. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this desire driven by consumer mentality that you need to get up there and dance like I've never seen dance and sing like I've never seen sung, and you need to get up. You need to show me something I've never seen before. And if you don't, I'm going to go somewhere where they will. I want to be wild, amused, and entertained from the pulpit. What's interesting to me, though, is that sometimes we fail to realize that just because someone says something entertaining or clever doesn't mean that you have heard from a man or woman of God. As a matter of fact, for those of you who are diligent, as Scripture teaches, and you hear something from someone, and then you decide, it might be wise for me to go find out upon what platform this person stands before I promote them with my social media, because God's Word tells me that I'll be held accountable for every idle word, and I would argue whether you spoke it or not. If you're going to put something out there, it's hypercritical that someone who knows nothing may see that and respect you so much that they begin to follow a false doctrine and a false teacher. You know who will be held accountable to that? Well, definitely the false teacher, but you. It's important that we are wise, that the pursuit of knowledge doesn't become an idol because you can see how easily in so many different ways it can lead us astray, right? Amen, church? Scripture is amazing. I mean, it is every single day something new, something refreshing. It doesn't speak something new to you. It only says what it's always said. But I love the maturing process of the believer. As we grow, we're able to see something we missed the first time. It's amazing. Some people can straight preach it, can't they? They can. There's some preachers out there that can straight preach the word. But how, mm, that's good, the word is, doesn't mean squat if it don't lead to change. You hear me, church? You hear me? I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I tried CrossFit, right? <laughs> I, w- I went there, what, six, seven times? I was like, why ain't I ripped? <laughs> I done CrossFit seven times. I think it hurts worse the eighth time than it did the first time. Like, I, under- I understand our mentality, right? Like, we want it to, we want to be able to just go do something, go and just instantaneous right there. I just want, or supernatural. I walked inside. I mean, you know how many times I've been in the lobby and talked to somebody who was a trainer at the gym? Why ain't I losing weight? That's how we think sometimes. That's how we think sometimes. You have to put in the work for real change to happen. Amen. And what you know doesn't mean squat if you're not applying what you know. James 4, 17 
says, therefore, to one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it, to him it is sin. When you tell your kid to clean their room, learning a bunch of knowledge about cleaning their room is not what you expect them to do. When you tell your kid to clean their room, the goal isn't that they write and sing a bunch of clever songs about cleaning their room. You aren't expecting your kid to go to conferences about cleaning their room. You don't mean for them to join a group that discusses weekly cleaning your room. When you ask your child to get their hind in in that room and don't come out until it is spotless, you mean get your hind in in that room and don't come out until it is spotless. And anything else is sin. Amen? Don't make me get your daddy. It's revolutionary, isn't it? It's revolutionary. It's oftentimes the simplest things that are the most difficult to apply. Amen, church? So here's what bothered me about what Ken said or what Francis Chan said. It doesn't really matter who said it. It's true. What bothered me is that if I know or if I knew when my mom and my dad told me to do something, when my coach told me to do something, when my teacher told me to do something, when my boss tells me, if I know that what they expect from me is that I go and do the thing they told me to do, why would I think that God's commands should be treated any differently? I mean, if I disobey my, my dad, the worst he's going to do is spank me which was really bad when I was little. But then after I'd gotten enough of them and my hind parts were like leather, <laughs> bring it on. You know what I'm saying? Throw in another one for good measure. Like it's not even that bad. I mean, the punishment's temporary. It's instant. It's the, it's the same day kind of situation. <laughs> and, and, and it usually is with all other authorities, but disobeying God, it has eternal consequences. I want you to know something about the way God sees you. Because God created you in his image, he loves you so much that he has done everything to redeem you. He has done everything for you to belong to him. And not only that, but the reward that he is preparing is the best he can create. If, if you obey him. As a, as a matter of fact, one of the things that Jesus made sure was understood by his followers, obedience is the proof that you belong to Jesus Christ. Not a baptism certificate. Let me tell you a story. When I was a young man, I gave my life to Christ because I was afraid of water moccasins. You're like, what? How does he get so distracted that now we're, I'm not distracted. Listen, here's what happened. This guy came in, he preached this message. He told this story about how when he was a kid, there was this boy that lived in his neighborhood. And during the summer, they spent a lot of time swimming at the swimming hole. Do y'all know what swimming holes are? Holes with water in them that you swim in. For you young people, you're like, is that the same thing as a pool? No, it is not. No, it is not. 
him and his buddies would go there every summer and they would swim in this one particular swimming hole. And he had this one friend that lived in his neighborhood and he had been trying so hard to get this friend to come to church so that he could hear the gospel, so that he could be saved. He was concerned, even at a young age, about this young man's salvation. One day, they had gone to the swimming hole, and this friend of his was the first one to jump in the water, and it was full of water moccasins, and he landed right in the middle of the bed of this water moccasin. And they bit him so many times that, of course, he died before they were able to get him to a doctor. And some of you don't know today that you aren't going to jump in a bit. And so I'm like, oh, my God. I swim in swimming holes all the time. <laughs> I'm going into a swimming hole today. I'm going to go down there and get the poison vax. Jesus. <laughs> and that's what I did. It was an emotional decision. But when I, when I actually met Christ... When I went back, my pastor came to our house, and he sat down with me, and he walked me through the gospel. It was in that moment that I made the decision to follow Christ, and, an, and a flame ignited in my soul. When I go places I have no business being from that moment on, I knew it. I didn't need a preacher to stand up there and tell me, you ought not be... I could, there was convic The Bible says the Holy Spirit does one of two things. To the unbeliever, he convicts them of their sin. The believer is convicted of righteousness. You're not if you're a believer, you're not convicted of sin. You're convicted of righteousness. Your sin's been dealt with. Now the Holy Spirit is leading you in the direction of righteousness. Paul, you want an, you want an amazing image of what it looks like for a believer to wrestle with sin. Look at, read Romans chapter 7. Paul lays it out, exactly what it looks like. Even though there are times, because here's what some people do. We read scriptures like that and we glean from that, oh, grace allows me to live any way that I want to. But when you read Romans chapter 7, that's not the picture that Paul paints, is it? That's the exact opposite of the picture Paul paints. Paul does say that there are times when I do the very thing I do not want to do. And he's thankful for the grace of God in those moments. But what we fail to realize is that while Paul's walking through whatever it is that he's dealing with, he is struggling to glorify God. He falls short. Grace covers him. Back in the fight. Falls short. Grace covers him. Back in the fight. This whole idea of I'm just going to be me and do me and God's going to take care of it is nowhere in the Bible. There was never a time in sin where I wasn't fully aware of exactly where I was and exactly that the Holy Spirit was convicting and drawing me out of that. If you would tell me this morning, Pastor, I've never felt that in my life, and I've been saved since I was nine years old. I love you so much to tell you the truth this morning. You did not get saved when you were nine years old. If the very thing that's evidence of that salvation is missing, conviction. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And understand this morning, church, 
The evidence of faith isn't one or two acts of emotional response or even one or two acts of obedience. It's a lifetime of it. I'm not telling you unless you live perfectly, you're going to hell. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is a difference in willful sin and, and, and the desire and pursuit of living righteously. Both of those individuals fall short, but grace only covers this one. You need to understand that. This person more than likely needs Jesus Christ. They're just being what exactly what the Bible says they are, unbelievers, and they need Jesus. And that's why it's so, this is so critical because we're, we're all coming from different denominations. Let me show you. Methodist, raise your hand. Anybody? Nobody? Oh, okay. Pentecostal, raise your hand. You need me to get a little bit crazy? A little bit. <laughs> Baptist, raise your hand. Any, any free will Baptist? No free will Baptist. Well, that explains our problem. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so see, so many of us are in the room, and, I, and sometimes when I'm having conversations with you, I hear, more, I hear more denominational doctrine than I hear scriptural truth. There, there are some of you in this room that believe that there's a word in the Bible that is not there, and that word is backslidden. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. I'm sorry, okay? At some point, your, 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 your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter or your aunt or your uncle or you see where I'm going, whomever it is, at some point, what's, what's, what I'm beginning to believe is happening is this person isn't backslidden. They don't know Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit would be convicting them there would be a struggle there. There would be, how do I know these things? You've got to find out because there's a lot at stake here. Just hoping and sitting back and going, mm, that's, not the, that's not what we're called to. That's not disciple making. Amen, church? Amen. We're called to get involved. And a lot of the reason that we're not involved in having these conversations, a lot of reasons so many people around us are struggling, struggling in their faith and there are some of them who we perceive as Christians because they told us they're actually lost and don't know Jesus Christ. It's because we're just hoping God works it all out. And God decided I'm not going to just work it all out. I'm going to do the work through you. Will you love me and keep my commandments? Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to keep all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Ken said something last week that jarred me to the core. Jesus started his church the way he wanted it, and now he wants it the way he started it. Amen? Jesus Christ himself said, disciples make disciples. Generations Church will is a disciple-making church, period. I'm dramatic. I'm going to say something dramatic right now that I mean with my whole heart. I mean that Generations Church is a disciple-making church. I, I mean that so 
deeply and profoundly that if we are not known for disciple-making, what is that? Proclaiming the gospel, growing in maturity in our faith, discipling others to grow in maturity and to also be able to share the gospel and be also able to help others grow and mature in their faith. If we are not known for disciple-making, if this doesn't become, if this is not who we are at our core, I will resign as your pastor. In the name of Jesus, you have my word. That is not a threat. That is a promise that I am making to you. That if I can't pastor faithfully the people that God has entrusted to me to be obedient to his word, then I love you so much I will go find someone who can. Generations Church is a disciple-making church. Everything that we do, that will be the goal. When I was a kid, we would sing this song, deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. You remember that? I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I mean, I can connect it to some things, and some of y'all who are a little older than me, which I think I'm older than everybody in the room, ain't I? You probably know. You could probably tell me. I can't really remember, and it's okay. It doesn't matter. What's important is that what it has come to mean in the church world is the church is either deep or the church is either wide. And I don't understand what it is about human beings that we have to swing either all the way this way or all the way that way, and we can't go, well, I think there's some benefit. I think it's biblical to be a little bit of both. A disciple, a mature disciple of Jesus Christ shares the gospel with unbelievers, which that's going to deal with the whole wide people are going to, when you share the gospel with people and they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I would think that you would say, if you don't have a church home, well, I'm assuming they wouldn't. (laughs) You can come to Generations Church, and so we might grow in number if people are hearing the gospel from faithful, mature disciples and responding. Amen? Amen. And and is that it? For some of you, you'd probably go, well, that's what happened to me. I mean, it probably is. The church isn't known for disciple-making. Ken already shared with you the statistics. Many of us met Jesus Christ and it was like a pat on the back and out into the darkness and man, I really hope things work out for you. And so I get it. Maybe that's where you stand this morning. But, the, but that's where the deep part comes in. Once you've met Christ, you, you enter into this discipleship process where you grow and mature, where the end goal is now you're the one who's sharing the gospel with unbelievers and discipling them to mature in their faith. And as you do this, they get to the point where they're sharing the gospel with unbelievers. And before long, we are deep and wide. There's three people sitting in the room, potentially right now. There are unbelievers. You need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. And if you're not sure exactly how to do that, there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. 
but I would love to sit down with you and walk you through exactly what Scripture teaches it means to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you would give me that opportunity, I would be honored to talk with you and to do that. You can, you can come up to me after church. There's a, there's a card in the seat in front of you. You can fill that out and just put on there, would you call me this week? And I will call you this week. But I want to take care of that today. I heard it once said that there's only two things in life that are guaranteed, and that's death and taxes. That may be true for people with no hope. But what we know is that we are eternal beings. It doesn't end with death, does it? Taxes isn't guaranteed past that. But what you've done with God and his Christ does. Then there are those who've never been discipled. We've already talked a little bit about you. I would encourage you to join a group today. Listen, Stacy and I are literally, we, we, <laughs> we got groups already, but we're literally just waiting to see what happens today. Because if we need to start another group, we'll start another group. I can, I've been tired my whole life, I feel like. Nothing's going to change about that, right? We'll do whatever it takes. And if there's, a, if there's another need for another kind of group, then we'll lead another kind of group. But the reality is, some of you have been members of groups long enough. Like, what, are you, what do you think if it's time for you to tell God yes? It's time for you to tell God yes. I heard a pastor speaking a couple of weeks ago, and he said something that for the first time, it just reminded me of how subtle and how much of a liar the devil is. He said, I was having a conversation with someone this week, and they mentioned church hurt. And I looked at him, them and said, That's, there's no such thing. And when he said that, I thought to myself, what? Like, I'm pretty sure. And he said, listen, if you leave your house, and interact with people. Some of them are going to be positive interactions, and some of them are going to be negative interaction, true or false. It don't matter if it's at church. It don't matter if it's on 285. <laughs> it don't matter if it's at the gym. It don't matter if it's in the self-checkout lane of Kroger. Some of those interactions are going to be positive, some of, those, some of those interactions are going to be pleasurable memories that you refer to later in life, and some of them are not. But what the devil has geniusly done is let me create this diagnosis that gives people an excuse to only stop going to church. Taco Bell, still going to Taco Bell. Had a bad interaction with somebody in the gym, still got my membership at the gym. Got in an argument, somebody about ran me over. I'm like, I got 10 feet to go. It literally, there's a sign right there. It's not my silhouette, but it says people are walking right here. Slow down, pay attention, about ran me over. In the, still, I shop at Kroger. 
Church hurt does not exist. Stop saying that word. Stop using those, that language. People have hurt you, and it has changed you. It requires someone to maybe sit with you and walk with you through that. But if you take serious Christ's call to get involved in relationship, not only has it happened, but it's going to happen again. What I would love to see is for the church to get to a place where we're maturing and recognizing all of the ways that the enemy attacks and shutting it down. You feel me? But discipleship at a church committed to disciple making is how you learn to recognize things like that. I'm going to tell you one more thing, and then I'm going to move on. I'm so sorry. I'm only two minutes over my timer. Buckle up. So I, I was sitting with somebody one time. I'm going to tell you, if there is a red flag, the moment you tell me you came from, and then you fill in that blank with a church, I'm already like, okay. You know me. I've been saying this since the day one. You, you Be careful with that. You're messing with the wrong one. I will straight tell you. Is there reconciliation that needs to take place? I'm not saying you got to go back to church there. But is there a biblical process of reconciliation that you need to go through with one of your Christian brothers or sisters in Christ? Because you ain't about to bring all that garbage up in here. You hear me? I've had to do some of that stuff. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says you got to do it. If you are at odds with a Christian brother and sister in Christ, as far as it depends on you, God says through the Apostle Paul, be at peace with everyone. If there, in front of the altar, while giving your, you remember, go and reconcile first with your brother. We forget those things. We forget those things. Maturing as a disciple, this is these are the things that become naturally a part of who we are. We begin to desire peace and desire reconciliation. Why? Because Christ died for them in the spirit of God that he put inside you, convicts you of it. It's not just those things. It's righteousness in general. And so some of you, you're in here, you're hearing this stuff going, I don't even know how to begin that. You need to be discipled. You need to sit at the feet of a mature disciple and allow God to work through them to teach you and to allow for you to become fully equipped. And the third group of people in this room are mature believers, disciple makers. A mature believer, a disciple maker, will always have an answer when I start asking you, who are you discipling? Are you just drinking from the fountain? Because if everybody just drinks from the fountain, it's no longer living. It's going to die. I have anxiety. You know this. Like, there's, there's really only one thing, as anxious as I am, that I like to do. And it's sleep. <laughs> I, I don't like to go out in public. I don't like to talk on the phone. I don't like to go out in public. 
I don't like to, I don't like to be the focal point of a room. I don't like to go out in public. I'm going to say something, and I mean this gently, but I want the words to sting a little bit so that you will recall it, not because I, disre- I don't respect you. Stop making excuses. God is not concerned with your hang-ups. Because for him to pay attention to them and to think that they were important or that they were relevant or that they were, would mean he would have to deny himself. And God will not deny himself. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, believer. I may have to wash my pants and my shirt after wearing them one time from preaching on Sunday because I sweat the whole time because I just want to get out of here. But you know what's amazing about our God? Here I am. You can do it too. Your anxiety doesn't trip God up. Your depression doesn't trip God up. You think whatever your excuse is, God isn't up in heaven go, oh, 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 I forgot about that. Scratch the whole thing. Everyone but you. That's not the way that it works. People have had to stand up under so many unbelievable burdens, unbelievable adversity. The world will excuse you from everything for anything. Do you understand that? God says in Romans 12 too, but do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop. Remember when I told you about the time where I said, I'm not anxious, I'm excited. And the devil was enraged on that day. Nothing changed about the way that I feel. You can ask Stacy. I'll be standing down there and I'll be moving. I'm rubbing my fingers together and I'm hands in my pocket, hands in my pocket, hands up, hands down. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And then she'll hear me every once in a while. I'll be like, I just want to get up there. I just want to get up there. That's the spirit of God. My flesh, I hope I die. <laughs> Lord, take me now. There's somebody else here that'll have a word for him, even if it's just, well, you're dismissed. The pastor's dead. Whatever. <laughs> but the spirit of God inside of me is like, no, let's, get, let's, do, let's walk fully in the footprints of Christ. Amen? <laughs> just take a step. Have you ever served in children's ministry? I can't, I can't believe how many pe- people come to me and say, like, I'm just not comfortable. Somebody. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I'm sorry, I don't, you know, I don't care that you're not comfortable. I'm not comfortable talking to you, yet here I am. <laughs> like, God don't care that you're uncomfortable. Not in the sense that you don't matter to him, but in the sense that I know the spirit I put inside of you. That doesn't concern me. That's not on my radar. It shouldn't be on yours. Have you ever served in children's ministry? Student ministry? <laughs> there are some weirdos in there. <laughs> Everybody don't raise.
raise their kid the same, amen? I mean, have you ever talked to a seven-year-old that sounds like a scientist? Hey, man, I just, you, do you want the square cheeses or the fish goldfish, the cheese cracker? Which one do you want? I don't care about who invented the time machine. <laughs> You're a little weirdo. And, you know, in, in the student ministry, it's the same thing, man. Have you ever come up here on a Wednesday night? It is, woo-hoo. Let me tell you something right now. There is a child back there. There is a student on Wednesday night that if you would just trust God and say yes, that child will look you in the face at some point and tell you in their way, finally, somebody like me. You ain't weird because you picked weirdness. God molded you, molded you, and made you because there's people who need you in all of the ways that you are the person that you are. Will you say yes to him today? Would you stand this morning? starting a study on James next week. And James begins in a very interesting way. And it led to this message today. The idea was I was going to recap what Ken said last week. I was going to let you know this is who we are. From this moment on, we are a disciple-making church. Do you know Christ? Are you being who are you discipling? And we're going to be dead set on those things. I don't look at the numbers for how many people attend here. I get so much ridicule for that. Well, you need to know, though, you shut your mouth. I am not going to get all bent out of shape about something that might cause me more anxiety than I already have. There are people that come here, and that's fine with me if that's all I know. So this ain't about growing. This ain't about numbers. This ain't about nothing. This is about faithfulness. There are people around us who are lost. They need Jesus Christ. Whom have you shared the gospel with recently? I don't know the first thing about sharing the gospel. Why aren't you in a small group? Why aren't Go to your small group. Well, this week we're talking about, I don't know how to tell people about Jesus. Hijack that jump. Hijack that group. Good chance it ain't focused anyway. If we're all struggling with this, we're probably all struggling a little bit with it. Let's just be, tell the truth. I need help. I don't even know how to share my faith. We want to walk with you through that. We want to teach you how to do that. You need to join a group, get involved in discipleship, and tell them, folks, I don't know anything. For the rest of us, how long are you going to attend small group with your mature self, knowing good and well, God's have told you so many hearts just waiting on your obedience? Building generations of followers of Jesus Christ. It's not just a tagline. Father, this morning you've been so good to us that we have 
even another opportunity to hear the truth of your word. God, I don't want to know patience how you know it. But I'm thankful that you demonstrate it daily. Father, we're committed to your word. And Father, in Christ's holy name, we're about to clean our room. In Jesus' name, amen.